Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from Bossa Nova Media Chief Executive Paul Heaney, Orange Smarty Chief Executive Karen Young, and Drive Co-MD Ben Barrett, about what the unscripted distribution business looks like in the future and whether the golden age of factual has materialised. With all eyes on the UK for this month's London screenings, C21 has put together a series of panel discussions and one-on-one interviews to coincide with the event. Exploring the key trends and issues front of mind for buyers and sellers right now, the place of UK programming on the global stage and some of the shows to watch out for. Bossa Nova Media Chief Executive Paul Heaney, Orange Smarty Chief Executive Karen Young and Drive Co-MD Ben Barrett spoke to Clive Whittingham about their experiences running unscripted distribution businesses without physical markets, keeping a good content supply line flowing amidst production shutdowns and the launch of rights-hungry streamers. They also spoke about whether the so-called golden age of factual has materialised and if the pandemic has been a good time for distributors. Hello and welcome to this latest uh, C21 panel discussion to coincide with the London screenings. We've got three factual distributors uh, with us today uh, to chew the fat over all the latest trends in factual and where the industry is heading in 2021. Ben Barrett, the co-MD of Drive. Paul Heaney, uh, CEO of Bossa Nova Media, which is new and we'll come on to that. And Karen Young, who is CEO of Orange Smarty. So welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us and, and sparing the time. For those that don't know, let's just have a brief intro to your company and maybe your slate that you're taking into 2021. Ben, why don't we start with you on that? Sure. Thanks, Clive. Uh, as you said, I'm the co-MD of Drive. We're a London-based distribution company. We've been working as a distributor for just coming up for five years now. Uh, we started out life working entirely on production financing and co-production and putting together funding for producers and non-scripted. And that's really kind of the ethos that we've carried into distribution. We tend to be very involved in getting projects off the ground and helping producers navigate the ever-increasing deal structures and increasing sort of financial conundrums of putting together productions. We're getting ready for MIP slash London screenings. And obviously this new digital way, excited to be taking quite a lot of big returning brands that, we've, that we're lucky enough to have. We've got, I think, six shows that are now long-going returners, which is great. I think that's a bit of a trend in the market at the moment. Maybe that's, we're seeing more of that than new shows coming through at the moment, but we can talk about that a bit more. And I think if there was a couple that we were most excited about, or one we're most excited about, we've done a co-production with Blink last year on a 10-parter on a called Strangest Things which explores all the sort of wonderful, mysterious objects through history and looks at why they were made, who made them and what they do and how they really work. And that's a, a US-UK co-pro that we're taking out at MIP and excited about. Karen, tell us about Orange Smarty, fast-growing, independent UK factual distribution. First of all, I don't, because we don't get to see each other in person and thought anymore, I thought I'd give you a bit of background into me and insight into me. So... I have rehabilitated gibbons in Thailand. I have skated in the London Olympics in the opening ceremony as a nurse. (laughs) And in 2013, after 20 years in the media industry, I decided to start Orange Smarty. So that's what's led me here. Um, And Orange Smarty is a factual boutique distribution company um, specialising in factual across the complete gambit of genres. 
from history, lifestyle, to wildlife science and everything else in between. I mentioned the Gibbons because we're also one of those companies that actually supports and shares some of our profits with a charity. We support International Animal Rescue. And so we really value some of the, we're a value-driven company. So we put our values and our support to the original Orange Smarty. So a little bit about me and a little bit of background there. Uh, we represent some strong brands, A Place in the Sun, Michael Palin in North Korea, some Paul O'Grady, some of our news today coming through. We've made quite a lot of investment. One of the new investments is inside the Spitfire Factory, which was a great six-part series for Channel 4, which is an obstock great characters, transactional, science, history, all combined. And then some crime series coming through, 15 half hours, moment of proof for BBC daytime, filling that daytime slot for crime. And then we've got a 26-hour series coming through, again in the crime space, title to be announced. It's a working title at the moment, delivery in April. So, and of course, we're known for not only doing series, but some really strong one-offs as well. So there's an eclectic mix of new releases coming through. Paul Heaney's, Cineflix, PCB, and now Bossanova Media. Why don't you tell us about the the new company, Paul? Uh, Yeah, well, I I thought rather than just sit around and, you know, rearrange my stock drawer, I had to do something. And I just looked around and, um, well, now I think it's the same same situation. I think we need to help producers. I think they're they're sort of um, struggling slightly with commissions. So I thought, well, with the benefit of having no slate whatsoever, and no overheads, I thought, <laughs> why don't we just try and create a lean, mean business? So that's what we've done. We've hired Jasmine Joseph from Beyond, who was a 19-year-old, and now she's 23. And it's done. she's done amazingly well for us. So what we try to do is just try to, as you're both saying, you've got to try and establish two poles of content. I think you've got your, your long runners, and then you've got your one to four parts to reflect what the business is like. So um, that's what we're trying to do. And in terms of slates, after four and a half months of hearing all yours, and I'm thinking, bloody hell, what have I got? So I suppose the big one is something that we've already put some money into, is Border Force USA. Uh, that was a big, big selling show at TCB. And we've sunk some money already into season three, uh, which is 10 hours. And we picked up the season one and two of that as well. And that will be the start of some franchises. Hate that word, but it's true. That's what these things are. And I want to try and make money for the producers to try and really, I think what we need to do is in a few years time, um, these producers can look at us and say, okay, you know, that show is in the black. You've helped us. We've made a profit. But I think what I've learned over the last year and a bit, um, and Clive, you and I have chatted about this, is it's not just about, you know, I've made my mistakes in this. It's not just about building up and flogging it. And that's certainly what I don't want to do with Boston Over. Um, I think, um, you know, that's probably um, lesson learned there. With Boston Over, we will pick up an investor fairly soon, um, but that investor will be in it long term, not as a sort of short term get rich quick. Uh, and that's what I want to do. I want to try and help producers build a profitable business. And then in terms of franchises, yeah, we've got Border Force USA. I've got the Car Years and ITV Commission. I've got about seven primetime shows coming, which is the Channel 4, ITV, Channel 5, which will be true crime. Uh, all sort of very big, noisy one to four parters. And, you know, who'd have thought a few years ago, none of us were talking about docs, probably 10 years ago, we sort of say you can't sell those bloody things. But now we have to. You've got David Zaslev, which I think we should talk about you know, um, CEO of Discovery, telling everyone, you know, um, he's throwing his house at Discovery Plus. So yeah. our livelihoods depend on on Discovery Plus working, which we have to make sure it does. So we have to reflect market needs. So in terms of all of that, yeah, let's see how it goes. Four and a half months in, bloody bored of working in a room, I have to say. But anyway, 
so far so good. Can I just stick with you and ask what it was like launching a company in lockdown? How was that experience of launching while we're locked down? Uh, it's very, very stupid, actually. Well, it was quite life affirming. I have to say, I mean, 2020 was the most ridiculous year for me because we had first half of the year, generally not good news, I would say. Second half of the year, yeah, it was very, very life affirming. So from June onwards, work life only got better. So uh, yeah, you can only move, you can launch a company, it's fine. In, in many ways, it's quite easy because you've been quite self-contained. You've got no choice. You can't really do anything very quickly. You have to go along with the pace of business, which isn't that fast. I mean, you probably, Karen and Ben probably, you know, your, your businesses are established. And so you've got a, you've got a momentum, but establishing a momentum, getting going, getting the wheels turning is not easy. So we had to we had to take that into our own hands, but we can talk about that a bit later. But yeah, you sort of got to grab it yourself and do it. Otherwise, um, you can't get moving. The big issue for a distributor, one of the big issues, as far as I can see, is us, us uh, three, four, usually meet and talk at events. That's where we see each other. And obviously, there's been no events for a full year now. Ben, turning to, to you first and then to, to Karen, how has it been and how does a distributor function when you haven't got physical markets to to sell and sell your wares at? Yeah, kind of. I think it's the same as what Paul said about launching a business. You've just got to be you've got to be creative and you've got to be really proactive. I think you know distributors have all had to be creative for a, for a few years now, and that's just you know getting more and more the case the whole time. So you've got to be constantly getting out in front of people. You know, obviously the obvious way is you're doing your Zoom calls and you're doing your virtual meetings. But I think you know one of the big challenges and one of the things that we're trying to do as we approach this next little I'm, and I'm still slightly reluctant to call it MIP TV because I think there's there's more going on now, and I'm not even sure that MIP TV is the biggest part of it. But it's like trying to have a really creative offer offering to take to clients. So it's not just please can I book a Zoom. It's like building a building some kind of portal or some kind of infrastructure around which you can do those meetings, which you can showcase your programs, which you can just, you know, try and try and reinvent things a little bit. I think everyone's gagging to get back to Cannes and to go out and travel and see their clients and, you know, get out on the road. But at the same time, there are other ways of doing it. And, and while it's hard to necessarily feel that it can be as, as impactful sometimes, in many ways, you get more quality time. You're not, you're not necessarily having, I mean, we don't organize half hour meetings so much. You're organizing hours and you're getting a bit more time. You're one-on-one, -on -one, you're in a controlled environment with less distraction around you. So, so in some ways it works quite well, but I think in short, we have have to take you really have to take the lead and be creative and proactive to keep momentum going with people and with projects Aaron, what's been the orange smarty uh, tactic to get through running a distributor with no events to go to well before rehabilitating gibbons and i don't want to keep talking about monkeys <laughs> but before that i my whole career was in marketing so this really plays into my strengths because i think more than anything it's about marketing and it's about how you do your marketing to reach your customer because there is that no longer that face-to-face -face contact. So for me, this is a perfect opportunity to really get my teeth into something that I know very well. And so what we tend to do is look at throwing some investment at how we're going to do digital integrative marketing, um, which goes way beyond just Zoom calls or mm. content video conferencing calls, it actually becomes a very interactive experience. So there's been a lot of investment being thrown at that and deciding how to continually engage a customer. Because I think the days of those markets in the short term, short to near term, sort of probably the next five years, I think have disappeared. I think it wouldn't surprise me if the MIP became just an annual event. And I think there was murmurings of that 
even before COVID. But if it became an annual event, I think it will be much more of a European event. I think Real Screen will have a bigger purpose for the North America. And then I think there will be something Asia-Pacific. But I just don't see short to five-year term a place where so many people from so many different, you know, from international people can travel and, and really congregate in one area. Nothing ever replaces face-to-face meeting and all our relationships, and Paul and I go back years, and Ben and I go back years, and we've all met each other, <laughs> met each other on the circuit. We know, you know, we know each other as friends as well as competitors and distributors and allies and everything else. So you can't ever replace that. And so what's really important at this moment in time is how you market, how what your brand stands for, the quality of the content that you have, and the depth of your relationships, because for new companies starting up, and there are a lot of new companies starting up, but you know, to try and build those relationships now is really hard. It's not easy to pick up phone someone you've never met before. But you know, so you you really do need to be going and speaking to distributors who already have that and can enhance that and use that to maximize profits in your project. So for me, it's a it's a big opportunity, but it is about the marketing now. Getting a foot in the door as a newcomer at the minute. I mean, I just don't I just don't see how you how you do that. So, I mean, just opening it up to all of you, what does the industry look like on the other side? Is it all back on the plane and and back to the amount of events we were doing before? Or is it a hybrid model? What does it look like on the other side of this, whenever that other side may be? I think it will go full circle. I think eventually we'll all be saying, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we could all get together and that will happen like it's some new idea. But I don't see it short term for at least five years. Yeah, I think um, what Karen said about marketing, absolutely bang on, completely agree with that. Marketing is everything because you've got to establish a platform to be able to sell. And what Ben was saying about, yeah, it's not just a case of, um, you know, just trying to sell shows. You've got to create an environment for it. And these are words, you know, marketing and, and environment and being creative as well, Ben said. Uh, what, I've, what I said in the summer when I was thinking about this, there were two words that came into my head. It was community and hub. And the reason why we like going to, you know, to Sunnyside and to Real Screen and, the, and to MIPS is because of the community and hub and Science Congress and everything else here at Edinburgh. Community and hub is over and over again. It's what we like. It's what, it's what we've sort of lost a bit here, you know, because, you know, doing these Zooms is a, is a can be a bit difficult and I prefer phone calls I must admit because also I have to take notes a lot of the time so all you're looking is the top of, at the top of my head and it's a big head and it doesn't have as much hair on it as it used to as well it's slightly disconcerting for everybody slightly alarming but probably don't want to look at it so we, so what people need now is yeah this community so with that in mind I just thought we're going to be a victim if I, if I start too small we're just going to be a victim to to the competition I can't possibly do it so you know saying that I'm, I've been trying to call Latin America this afternoon to finish a deal you know I, I don't do deals in latin america um, but I, I i haven't yet hired the two salespeople who i need to hire fairly soon that's a little job advert place just there but i know i have to do all of that but essentially this comes down to 50 odd 60 people that came to our development day so i just thought we're just going to get eaten up because you know there's there are too many distributors out there there aren't enough shows and it's a bear pit there's no other word for it i felt like i was going back into it and here we are again now but i just thought we, we've got to take it into our own hands so we we then 
and said, right, this is something I did for five years at TCB. It was the development day. I thought, well, I don't want anyone else grabbing it. I think a couple of distributors have tried this year, naming no names, but they could be in the States, um, trying to do something similar. So I did. Um, we did our own at no notice at all. And Jasmine actually established a webinar. You were saying you need your own platform. And we did it. We did it with 51 buyers or even 53 buyers, I think it was at the end, and 29 producers, 10 hours, 77 projects of which about 60 odd were showing sizzles on a webinar. And I was the world's worst continuity announcer all day long, having to bring the producers in. But then they're getting their profile up, they're talking, and the chat room is in the bottom right-hand corner. So then the community starts and the buyers talk to each other. So what do you think of that? I quite like that, blah, blah, blah. And they're asking questions. And you feed those questions to the producers. You've got your community, you've got your hub. And the thing that you that you wouldn't necessarily have at London screenings, because we're that big and we're just going to get drowned out, you might have, you might have. So that what I just told you about, that's our myth. That's our London screenings. That's that's the beginning of our business. All, all there, you know, mind you, you know, it's all about risk as well, which we have to talk about later on, I'm sure. Is, it, is that the future, Ben? Is that what the future looks like for, for you guys? Or is it, are we going to be out and about with, with Rosé and, and all of that? Again? Well, I think, you know, as I said, I agree with Karen. I mean, God, I hadn't thought as far, as far ahead as five years, but I certainly think for the next couple, it's just not going to happen. And then we'll have to see after that. I mean, I think, you know, myself personally and, and our sales execs are all desperate to get on a plane and go and see their clients when they can. But I think that it's going to be a hybrid of the two. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, like, for example, we'll definitely keep our office. You know, got lovely offices, some of that house, don't want to lose that. But will we all be in there five days a week together? No, probably not. We'll probably have two or three days where we all are in together and let people do flexi working and try and negotiate rent reduction. So it, I think it's definitely going to be a hybrid. And yeah, I do think the markets over the next couple of years is going to be really interesting to see what happens. We still need, we need each other. So what will happen, you know? Um, but yeah, I think what you said, it was going to be a more European market for MIP perhaps because the Australians aren't going anywhere in a hurry. Well, the Americans. I mean, that's the big one, isn't it? In terms of the Americans traveling, I just think that's clear that that is not going to happen anytime soon. No, it's um, not. We do need each other. We do need it. And the pace of business and the, just the sort of the nature of how we interact. Yeah, it will it will inevitably come back in. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be a hybrid of two. But you can't, you know, the Zoom, you know, again, going to what Karen said, it's like the relationship part and the friendship part and the, you know, that part is what we miss when it's on Zoom because you can still have Zoom events and Zoom drinks and whatever it's just not the same as spending time with someone in person and doing something a bit different. So that, that's the that's the challenge that we all have to sort of make up and, and maintain that. Yeah, it's going to be three days. You're right. Three days a week, two days at home. Um, Goldman Sachs came out today and said, we don't believe in it. But then JP Morgan has said something slightly opposite. So I think big corporations have got mm. different views on it, but everyone's got their own culture. And um, yeah, we haven't, we're, I'm not even thinking about an office just yet. But no. once we start hiring, and I don't want to go crazy, that's the other thing is that, is, um, you know, TCB, I look back now, I thought it was lean and mean. Now you'd think, actually, if I started again, would you have that many people? You know, you don't, you sort of have to really, really look hard and say, well, every every now, every brick I put in place now, do I really need that? Because mm. you're examining how the industry is. A year ago, there was no Discovery Plus. There was just about a Disney Plus. So I think the industry is really, really changing and distribution and it's the way the teams are constructed. Do you need six salespeople or five? Will smart selling take over some of it? I don't know. I think just to touch on that, one of 
of the other investments we've done is, is in our own rights management platform. It's called Dolly, but we call it our digital 12th man footballing terms. And that's become really important. We've put a lot of investment there because actually, if that is really efficient and works hard for you, that actually does a lot of the sales job for you. If you can generate leads for yourself, if you can mm-hmm. get reports out that tell you when something's due up or that you've pitched it and not heard back, or whatever, that is key. And that's not only key for you and your sales force, but it's key for the producers because it means they're getting real relevant live feedback. So last year, people like me put two and two together and wrote articles saying it was a great time to be a distributor because all the live events had fallen over, all the sport had gone away, all the production was on hold and there were going to be huge holes in everyone's schedule. So if you had a whole load of finished tape, you know, make hay while the sun shines. Did that golden era of distribution uh, work out that way? I'm seeing sort of shaking and nodding heads. Karen, why don't you kick us off? Do you know what? I think it depends on your content. I think if you were a distributor that had scripted, you would have definitely cashed in because scripted was high on the buying priority. I think if you had true crime, that was also high. That's definitely been done really well during lockdown, as have long returning branded series, people that know that, you know, they recognize the brand they can go to, lean back kind of being entertained. But it was still very much about quality and it's always about quality. So I think initially people thought, oh gosh, the fans are going to be ringing off and they'll buy anything and it doesn't matter how old it is and it doesn't matter how bad it is and that wasn't the case at all the case is that you know they they re-licensed a lot of stuff and then any of the new stuff they had they kind of plugged for those gaps and then anything else they look through your catalog. So again, it came down to a point of like monopolizing on what you're good at, your relationships, making sure that quality content is in front of those people and being quick to react when they've got a space and making sure you can fill it, you know, and we're all boutique distributors and that's what we're all good at. We're, we have that ability not to be strangled by corporate structure and bureaucracy. We can make those decisions on the hoof. And actually we, you know, we had a call one day from ABC and Australia Public Broadcast had a slot can we do this we did the deal there and then on the phone which is great that the phone is coming back and we're not relying just on meetings and zooms but we'll pick up the phone again and yeah and we all get a buzz from that and then the deal was done dusted and delivered within 72 hours so you know that's really where distributors like us can really pull a punch so yeah I, I, I think it's it delivered in some ways and in other ways it fell short I mean I think there are some channels that are still not back to buying particularly in the cable and satellite area but there's been new channels sprung up and there's been opportunities for us to look at other revenue sources to look at other places to get revenue and video on demand has provided that Ben are you, are you guys at drive rolling in it after 2020 did the golden era come, come well, I was just la- I was laughing when Cam was saying that because I remember really clearly last April when we had a couple of shows that were just starting production and they had quite big gaps and we were like are we going to fund are we going to pre-sale and Lilla and I were, were chatting going but by September they're all going to be desperate for content and you know it didn't really play out like that because ultimately people just weren't going to start buying shows that they didn't want because they had gaps you know we saw lots of spin-offs we saw people reversioning we saw people buying previous seasons of long-running drama of, of long scripted shows and, and all that kind of stuff but having and formats of course but but having said that we did definitely have a few shows that really benefited I think I mean we had a Bethany Hughes travel series um, Greek Island Odyssey with Bethany in Greece following the steps of Odysseus and it was just like the perfect antidote to lockdown because it was a spe- bit of specialist factual nice bit of travel and that show sold brilliantly and I think you know I'm not putting it entirely
entirely down to COVID, but I think that was the kind of thing where we had a couple of buyers say, I think our viewers could really do with seeing something like that right now. So I think it was a mixed bag. It definitely wasn't just the, what have you got? I'll buy the lot. I've got to protect my schedule. And also the fact that, you know, we all operate in certain bits of the market. So we are able to be nimble and say, look, we can do you a deal here because we're funding this or whatever it was. I think definitely it created a small uptick overall, but it wasn't the landslide that some people were talking about, that you were talking about, Craig, in March. Um, no, you're right. It was. It's all spin-offs and reversions. I think we saw a lot of that with Channel 5, see a lot of that with US networks. Um, and I've, you know, on the, I think, you know, eight or nine deals I've done uh, has all been for the returning franchise that we've got, you know, Border Force USA, because yeah. that's why we brought it in, because we know that that's <laughs> what it will do. Um, I think um, we have to, we have to listen to what your buyers tell you, but at the same time, you also know that if you try and be too clever and try and second guess, it doesn't work. And I think the, the best example of um, of schedules, yeah, with holes and putting something in there is how many times has Dad's Army been on, in, on, on TV over here over the last few months? A lot. So rather than putting something new in, yeah, you're right about formats and um, SAS, uh, Who Dares Wins in Australia is a good example of that yeah. format, you know, and, and uh, the backstory behind that is fascinating as well. But um, yeah, it's much, been much more cagey, I think. But saying that, for the rump of last year, I wasn't really in a position to, to sell a catalogue. So all I can tell you is my meagre experience so far. But I have sort of been assuming that back catalogues have been selling a lot better. So even if it hasn't, even if you haven't been selling a lot of new shows, if you've got your long runners, of which, you know, TCB had tons of, I'm pretty sure those long runners sold in, you know, loads yeah. and there's lots and lots of renewals, as you were saying, loads of those going on as well. It is. It's those returning brands. And can I just say a deal came through for seven titles, as we were just talking then. And it is Aww. for another category that has done quite well. And that's the Royals. I mean, you know, there's been quite a lot of first in the Royal titles. And yeah, so they, they have done quite well. But I think what I say to a lot of production companies is that you, what you see on our schedules is replicated around the world. And that's a lot of repeat, a lot of long-running franchises that you're very familiar with, rebooted formats, and then a sprinkling of new stuff thrown in. People just don't realise that some of it is repeated because they never saw it the first time round. But that's the same everywhere. Putting two and two together, if that back catalogue was, if not exhausted, then certainly delved into last year, and there was also a hold on production, does that mean there is going to be a shortage of content for guys like you to sell as we move through 2021? I think there's going to be a few things that add to a shortage. One one is financing getting it over the line and all of us as part of distribution companies it's intrinsic for us to have investment as part of our budget it's so important that we have within our skill set the ability to do co-productions and resales but all of that has to be a measured risk and when too much risk is placed on the budget coming from the distribution company then there's trouble because it is a disruptive market it is a market that as Paul said you can't second guess at the moment so it has to be a shared risk but it is a distribution that can help that project get over the line so I think because commissioners are cutting budgets then there'll be a shortage of product unless distributors are there helping it get over the line. I think the other thing that could also end up being a shortage of product, and I wrote about this when this was first discussed in terms of trade and the public broadcasters started having no back-end share of international rights, but we're going to have more longer rights within the UK. And what's happened is that we're getting a lot of localised programming. So programming that really appeals to the British market actually doesn't have as much of an international face, which makes it very hard. Yeah, there's a lot of bucolic. There's a demand for bucolic, but I think that's the nature of the, the environment we're in, isn't it? People aren't travel, so they're looking at their own country. So we're making shows. I think that, I think you're right. A few years ago, 
you'd have said, oh yeah, some some nice British shows. But my God, have, I think um, I think just about every part of the UK has been filmed, been walked over in the last twelve months, isn't it? The problem is, it doesn't internationally. It doesn't, you know, and that's the thing. It's because the, the broadcasters, the UK broadcasters, no longer have a vested interest in the international profit. But they often now they expect some international money to be part of the budget. You know, everyone wants a bit more from the deal now, uh, and that's you know, especially when like us, you're very involved in the pre-sales cobalt we all are but you know that's always been a big part of what we've done and in one way it helps us protect the pipeline a bit because we're getting involved early and we're trying to make things happen but at the same time those pre-sale deals some of the prices are going down the decision making process is longer the cycle of a renewal which used to be closer to 12 months now feels like it's closer to 18 and all these things sort of have a bit of an impact i think even more than that is that your money is tied up for so much longer it's not in and out yeah we we do have to now yeah the expectations of broadcasters now is distribution yeah we're a, we're a bit of a bank you know we can, yeah. can rely on us but i've been really really having to hit broadcasters fair and square with that argument back at them and say listen it's not as much as you think and you know what percentage of programs that are commissioned in the uk for example will sell around the world it's much smaller than you think and it's tiny and is it worth actually taking those shows on for the mm. marketing and everything else you know that you put behind it and that's the other thing i think we've all learned you know when i launched tcb eight years ago how many of those shows were fully funded 90 percent. how many shows now are fully funded generally that distributors get hold of it could be in reverse so yeah you're right you have to have an investor and you have to put some input in but you also have to manage expectations because yeah the back end that was going to be so glorious and everyone wants a piece of there isn't one so i think the argument now is to say to producers and to and to the commissioners you know if you're involved in the back end if you're involved in getting something why don't you help us get there by maybe commission that show but for more episodes so it's more attractive for the international audience or give them a renewal straight away or you know make sure there's something spun off we are in an era of you know of a lot of a rights land grab for a lot of these broadcasters internationally so in that case our role has changed and i'm not going to say the word pivot because um, everyone uses that word but our roles our roles have changed as distributors now you almost have to be a bit of a mentor because you're educating aren't you you're educating the, the broadcasters and everyone else who's involved in that back end as to what they're actually going to get and you know you want to be sitting on a, a show that's in the red just because you want to make a strategic deal with a producer yeah it's a really good bit of strategy so we'll take that on the on the chin well no i'm not going to do that anymore and also i'm not building up a catalog full of fishing shows which i may have done in the past because <laughs> there's no point in just putting in hours now you know, we we know it just it just slows you down you yeah. just have to pick shows you have to pick them and know they're going to do their job but now you know fast forward two years i've probably got a whole catalog of fishing shows i'm hearing i'm hearing risk versus reward a lot in this in this conversation to put a positive spin on it which really isn't like me you guys are in the right genre though aren't you factual i mean with all the challenges that drama faces factual unscripted that's going to be big this year or am i being too simplistic i think so i mean i think that you know, we've always been in factual and it does feel like there was a time a couple of years ago where scripted was taking all the limelight and we felt like the poor cousins and now i feel that there's definitely with a lot of these new s launches there's a new focus on premium factual that hasn't been there for a while and someone mentioned discovery earlier and discovery plus is really interesting because now there's all sorts of documentary and new opportunities there for content that discovery channels would not have bought even six months ago so you know that, that that's a that's a great opportunity for sure the good thing now is that is that unscripted is has such a ridiculous breadth of budget i mean look you've got shows for discovery plus that are uh, every bit as expensive as a scripted show and not just discovery plus i know i've mentioned that a few times but only because it's right at this very center of our world so 
you know, that's why I keep saying it has to work and let's help them make sure it does. Is that, yeah, yeah, there's a, you know, some of the true crime shows that we've all worked on have got budgets which are eye wateringly low and no one would really believe us. And there's sort of an, yeah. it's sort of an inverse snobbery that you don't really want to tell people how much it's made for because they won't buy it. So you almost have to say, you know, just listen, look at the show first and I'll tell you afterwards. And there's, there's too many examples of that around the world. So is there a genre out there that has the breadth of budget per hour that, that is unscripted? No way. I mean, even in formats, you know, you can't get the sheer um, scale that we have, you know. So I think it's really, really now all the gaps in unscripted have been filled because, you know, as Ben just said, you've got that need for high high end uh, one to four parters on all channels, not just now, not just SVODs, but you can see, you know, Rise of the Murdochs on BBC and whatever. And then on the other side, you've got the um, the big old returners, you know, the, the RRS, the returnable, repeatable, scalable. Everybody wants those as well still. So I think it's, it's a really, really exciting time, but it's a lot of hard work because nothing gets handed to you on a plate anymore. It used to be easy. It's a lot harder now, but it's still quite fun, isn't it? Even though it is a bit of a bad bit. It's definitely fun. It's, it's it's challenging as well, though, isn't it? It's that thing. And also the thing is when you're when you're working really hard to get a show off the ground, then you are, you know, as Paul said, you've got to be honest with yourself sometimes where you're like, wait a second, I've lost sight of this because we've got four funders. They're not necessarily all going to cash flow it. We've still got a gap. How many territories have we got left? There's a lot of extra thought time that needs to go in as opposed to the oh i've just had a channel four commission it's a six-parter i'm not going to talk to another distributor you know if you give me a 10 grand advance you can have it you know that just doesn't really happen anymore so it's it's a very different process but having said that in in a way you can become a little bit more of a master of your destiny by trying to create and trying to get involved and using the knowledge that 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 we all have about the international market and obviously producers lots of producers are very savvy but many don't have the time or the inclination to spend all that time out the international um, market so that's where i think we can try and make a difference and make things happen you just said yeah it is actually quite rewarding because you can get to create your catalog but there's the other words that is similar numbers of letters this isn't i haven't turned into a word game um podcast i hope but it's, it's curating curating your catalog so now you can be i know isn't that amazing i've done that so that that's what we can start doing now more than before because as we are called platforms as well, distributors, which makes me go slightly bilious because it doesn't sound like the right sort of thing as a distributor, but we are. And in some countries, distributors are platforms, you know, so I suppose we are creating and we are also curating this this content for the brands that we've all established. Yeah, and I would say in terms of curating, what we do, and you can see on our website now, is we already curate content into packages. So we'll put collections together that should fit, should fit together so you can buy it as a package rather than a one-off title. So we're kind of thinking about those marketing opportunities and displaying packages of titles as opposed to here's a one-off and there's a curated section. Let's talk about Discovery Plus before we draw this to a close because it's come up several times in conversation on on different topics. Is this a game changer for factual and unscripted in the same way that Netflix was for drama? And uh, if so, why? What what makes this such a game changer for for guys like you? I think it's a sub-driver at the moment, isn't it? So the big headline when they announced their subscription levels and I was in contact with a friend of mine over there who said uh, I said well done and he said yeah we're all rock stars in the eyes of David Zaslav so I think they're, they're driving the subs up the same as Netflix was with drama and then they will fill in the gaps with all sorts of unscripted afterwards but right now they need the big billboard friendly noisy stuff what killed Maradona and they've got another one 
coming about the World Cup, I think, as well. So massive, massively noisy ones. But then eventually, all aspects of Unscripted will, of course, have their place. But I think right now, they're finding out who the profile is. What I find most fascinating about it is that Discovery's sort of offering of channels had a certain audience. And you would say now, because Discovery Plus is direct to consumer, that is a slightly more female audience. So that would then tell you that the sort of needs for them have slightly changed. But that will probably change as the subs change. But the the immediate millions that are coming in are probably reflecting what direct consumer is like right now. But that will probably change. But I think all gaps in the brickwork of Unscripted will be filled in. So it is a, it's a great thing because they've made it a success. And I was holding my breath thinking, oh, let's make sure it is. But it looks like it's on the way. And game changer, Discovery Plus? Uh, I'm, I think definitely, you know, too early to say, but we did one been working on a big development for them. It's been really exciting with the producer. And also just talking to them recently about the kind of stuff that they want to do. You're just like, well, this is great because these are new opportunities and that's basically what it is you know there's something that you would have thought I would not pitch that to Discovery is now something that they're interested in as Paul said you know it's going to be the billboard type programs and what's interesting you know also like talking to people at Disney Plus it's like even when you know if you think about the you know Nat Geo and their way into Disney Plus it's like now when you're pitching ideas it's very much about well can we see this we have to be able to see this on the streaming service and that's going to be almost at the forefront of their mind is this a brand that's going to work from us in a direct-to-consumer environment that we want to put up in lights. And I think that be really interested to see if Discovery take that same approach. I'm, I'm assume, I assume they will. But essentially, yeah, anything where there's, I think, new opportunities to pitch stuff that maybe they weren't doing before. You, you know, as long, I mean, I guess there's a tipping point, isn't there? As long as the, there's still the, the demand for the linear hours, because, you know, these channels all commission hundreds of hours a year. And I guess as the market moves more and more towards the direct-to-consumer offering, then do they still need, you know, especially companies like Discovery with the vast catalogue of, of shows that they've had that they haven't actually put out into distribution for I don't know ten plus years. I remember the last you know you used to you used to see the big those big Discovery shows on Channel Four six months later, what ten plus years ago. Now they've just safeguarded all of them, so they've got this incredible library, and of course Disney even you know even more so. So I think that's the that will be the really key bit. It's like yes, there's lots of big opportunities to, to do big shows, and they, and I think it really is about big shows. Um, you know, to quote one of the US streamers recently, I think they said the days of buying anything because it's affordable are completely over for us. It's not about that. And you know, it never it probably was much less for the US, those big US channels anyway. You know, they always want the, the premium things. But that was really interesting because, you know, if you're pitching something and you're and, and normally depending on how the negotiations are going, you'll go, okay, is it time to play the play the cost card? And actually it was clear that in that particular discussion that was just that was an irrelevance. Actually bigger's better. So as long as the demand is still there for the rest of it, for the for the linear channels and for the other content that you be making for whether it's investigation discovery or for any of the other brands but if you get to a point where it's really such a focus on direct consumer that linear becomes second then you might see that it becomes about less hours and obviously that would be a concern not just another really hungry rights uh, group what you have to be careful with discovery is their footprint they already have a huge footprint worldwide and then therefore if they start commissioning and what they're doing at the moment is commissioning for uk first run so they're not looking to acquire they're looking to commission first from uk they'll do what Netflix do, you know, see what works and then commission more of that and then they'll push it out to their footprint and that means the footprint internationally will end up buying less of other product because they'll already be fulfilled from their own platforms. They already get a lot from America being fed into them and now they'll have the plus channel as well. So I do think it will add a squeeze and I do think Discovery does have a massive footprint and a massive hold within key territories, you know, 
So I think it's one to watch. But I think, you know, as a consumer, you are being faced with a lot of platforms at the moment. You know, Netflix and Disney and Hulu and, and everyone's trying to establish themselves, even if not maybe a platform, but as an original. And eventually there will be overload. And then it will go full circle and say, hold on, we need an aggregator. That will, and then you'll, you'll just back, back to an EPG with channels and brands that you, that you know and love. Because we're not all going to subscribe to multiple, multiple platforms. So I think Discovery is definitely one to watch. I think it's really important that distributors know how to, and we all do, segment our rights and, and hold on to the rights and recognise the value because the worst thing that can happen is you sell to the online platform at a lower rate and then that becomes the mothership, but you've now put your, your licence fee right down and that leads to fast forward. So I, I think, it, you know, you have to be very careful and, and manage your rights. You're right, yeah. It's going to be, it could be a right squeeze and all of that and it could be, you know, where Where's the need for the big, as you were saying, Ben, you know, the, uh, where are we going to get the big returnables coming through? This could go to AVODs. You know, there are things like Pluto out there. It could be Pluto's opportunity. They may move into some of the areas uh, that Discovery is sort of vacating and, and you know, Discovery is moving into a more premium area for now. Uh, but, yeah, this, this could just fragment the market even more. And the AVODs, everyone's saying it's the rise of the AVODs. This could be the time. So I'd like to think, so many people have said it, that this is actually a really good opportunity for people who have content but i think what you said as well ben about if it's affordable that's what i think now it's it's not just content is king because actually trying to get decent content is more important than anything though i do agree with you you know to use a cricket analogy scoreboard pressure does help when you've got three four five six seven eight nine series from something that's mediocre when you get up to season nine it will sell definitely without a doubt but you know are you willing to take that and take that on for year after year so series will work but you just have to be really careful now what you take because it's, it's not a slam dunk anymore. You know, those regional discovery channels might not have the, the deals and we may got, producers may not get those royalty reports that says sort of 15 territories on there. It might just be one or two, in which case we, we might need to change what we're acquiring. Paul Heaney, Karen Young and Ben Barrett talking with Clive Whittingham. That's all for this episode, but there'll be more about the London screenings in the podcast tomorrow. We also have a dedicated microsite focused on the event, so look out for that. And in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.